you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. So Matthew chapter 6, if you've got an iPhone or maybe an Android phone, you can open up on a, a Bible app to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to pick up here in verse 5. And so in, in Matthew 6 and verse 5, when you have found that, if you don't mind uh, standing with me, and we're going to read the Word of God together today. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 5, read on down to verse 13 in Matthew 6. Uh, we like to stand when we read the Word of God out loud together as a way just to honor His Word. Verse 5 says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Uh, Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9 says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is the Word of God we believe is God's Word. You may be seated. You know, growing up, um, I played on this all the time on a playground. And maybe some of you played on it. Uh, maybe some of you never played on it. Maybe some of you haven't uh, ever seen this because I don't know if they're on playgrounds anymore. You guys know what that is? Seesaw, right? Yeah, you know seesaw works. Pretty simple. You get one person on each side. When when, when Jack goes down, Jill goes up. When Jill goes down, Jack goes up. That's how a seesaw works. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. In that life, I mean, life's like a seesaw. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. I mean, that could describe your life. That could describe a month. That could describe a week. That could describe a day. Right? I mean, it's up and it's down. But if you think about a seesaw, isn't that kind of our relationship with God? I mean, we, we seesaw with God all the time. Sometimes things are good, sometimes things aren't good. Sometimes we love God, sometimes we don't love God. Sometimes we feel closer to God, sometimes we don't feel close to God. I mean, we're always up, down, up, down with God. And, and, and the tension we've said over the last few weeks as we've been in this series called God First that we constantly live with is we know we're supposed to put God first, but we don't always put God first. You know, Jesus says very clearly in the Bible in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. Essentially, Jesus is saying, put him first in everything. And so so we know that, we feel that, we feel that tension of saying, God, I know I'm supposed to put you first, but but I always don't put you first. Things get in the way. I get busy. I, I get sad or I get depressed or I get angry or, or, or you know, works. Uh, stressing me out, and I don't always put you first. And so what we've been doing over the last several weeks is talking about practical ways of putting him first. So saying, all right, he needs to be first in our priorities. 
And so what we want to do in learning in our priorities is not fall into the trap of just doing what's next all the time, but doing what's best. And what's best is set aside time to spend time with God every day. And so, so just kind of challenge yourself. 10, 15 minutes a day, I'm going to set aside time to be with God. That's going to be my priority. Uh, last uh, week, we talked about Bible reading. Or excuse me, week before, we talked about Bible reading. And we say, you know, if this is the Word of God, uh, and we believe it's God's Word, then I need to read God's Word, and I need to get it in my mind, I need to believe it in my heart, and I need to start doing what it's calling me to do. And, and when I do that, things change. Things change in my thought pattern, my speech pattern, my actions. And so this is God's Word, so I'm going to kind of make it a priority to read His Word. Last week, we talked about giving and our finances and said, okay, so for God to be first in my finances, I need to learn what we call the first fruits offering we find in the Bible to where we give to God first and we don't fall in the trap of giving to God what's left. You know, sometimes we get in that cycle of, well, let me pay all my bills and, and let me go on and do life and then what's, whatever's left over, I'll bring that as an offering to God. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to give to God first. And I'm going to give to him first because that's what he calls me to do. And then I'm going to trust in him that he's going to take care of me through the month. And, uh, and I'll be able to have what I need to have. And so this morning, we want to wrap up our series in talking about prayer. And putting God first in prayer. And you know what I found about prayer? Is prayer is the easiest thing you will do as a Christian. You know that? Prayer is the easiest thing. Prayer is really talking to God. That's all prayer is. Prayer is just saying, God, here's what's on my heart. Here's what's on my mind. Here's things that's going on in my life. That's prayer. Prayer is the easiest thing you will do. But prayer is also the hardest thing you will do. Prayer is the easiest, hardest thing you will ever do. Because it's so hard when you pray. I mean, does anybody get what they pray for right off the bat? I mean, <laughs> like, does God make you wait, or am I the only one? Yeah? Isn't it hard to wait? I mean, God sometimes says, yeah, okay, I heard your prayer request. You're going to wait on that one. Uh, it, it may be a week. It may be a month. It may be a year. It may be five years. So prayer's hard because we have to wait. Prayer's hard because we have to keep praying. Prayer's hard because we have to find time. So it's easy. All right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God. But then it's the hardest thing we will ever do sometimes. And we live with that tension of prayer being easy, prayer being hard, finding time to pray. Jesus says in verse 5, when you pray... You mustn't be like the hypocrites. He starts out verse 6, when you pray. Notice in verse 7, he starts out, when you pray. Look how he starts verse 9. Pray then like this. Isn't it amazing? He started out all those verses assuming prayer. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 6, when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray. Verse 9, when you pray, pray like this. See, prayer is assumed by Jesus. Prayer is what we do as believers in Christ. I love this quote uh, by H.B. Charles. He says this, Prayer is our Christian duty. It's an expression of our submission to God and dependence upon Him. For that matter, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. Think of it this way. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. See, that's prayer. When you pray. And you know what's interesting to me about prayer? 
is not only is prayer assumed, it's the easiest, hardest thing you're ever going to do, but, but prayer has to be learned. You have to learn to pray. You know, there is a time in the Gospels that the disciples literally asked Jesus to teach them to do one thing. Yeah? And, and, and they don't say, Jesus, teach us to heal. You know, I, I've got a bad back, and, and I want you to teach me how to heal Jesus. You know, uh, Jesus, you know, funds are running low. We've only got a couple of fish and loaves there in the, in the cupboard, and I've seen you multiply all those before. Teach me how to make food supernaturally. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? Jesus, I, I, there's a big hurricane coming. I want to get out of here. Teach me maybe to walk on water. Teach me how to steer the winds. Teach me how to do all those things. They didn't say any of that. They didn't ask Jesus to do any of that to teach them. What's the one thing they said to teach us how to do? Teach us how to pray. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, we, we've got you. We've seen you do all these things, but we want to learn how to pray. We want to learn how to pray like you pray. Teach us to pray. And so in this passage, Jesus is teaching us how to pray and how to put God first in prayer. So he says in verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So right there he's saying, look, don't pray on the street corners. Be careful in your public prayers. Pious Jews would take a couple of times each day, and they would stop what they were doing, and they would pray. And some of them would go out on the street corners, and they would pray out loud. And what they were doing was they were trying to draw attention unto themselves in their public prayers. They were essentially saying, hey, I'm praying right now. Look at me praying. So Jesus is saying, no, no, don't do that. But notice what he says in verse 6. He says, pray privately. But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you. So he's saying in verse 6, find a place. Find a place privately to pray. Maybe it's a closet in your house, a secret room in your house, a a place you can go where no one's going to bother you, nobody's going to see you, and pray there. So don't pray on the street corners. Pray privately. Now, Now stop one second here because what's Jesus up to? I mean, is Jesus opposed to public prayer? I mean, is that what he's getting at in verse 5? He's saying, hey, no, no corporate public prayers. Is that, is that what he means? Because if that's what he means, wouldn't Jesus be a hypocrite? Because he prays publicly at times. I mean, at the uh, tomb of his friend Lazarus, he wept. And before he rose Lazarus from the dead, he prayed. When he multiplied the fish and the bread, before he multiplied all that to feed over 5,000 people, he prayed and asked God to bless it. So is Jesus saying we don't ever pray publicly? I mean, look, and and we're going to get to it in a few minutes, but in verse 9, he's going to say pray like this, and he's going to give them a prayer to pray uh, in in front of everybody. And he's saying, look, I'm going to pray with you. So, So is he against public corporate prayer? I mean, if you prayed in your life group out loud this morning, did you violate verse 5? I mean, I I just prayed for Rogers. Was that wrong? Did I violate verse 5? Do we have to find a closet in our rooms, in our homes, and only pray there? I mean, what's he getting at here? So I think what Jesus is saying is he's not against corporate public prayer. He did it. He's getting at motivation. 
See, in the middle of this sermon in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, this long sermon of all this ways of living out the Christian life, it always comes down to motivation. What's your heart in the moment of that prayer? Why are you praying? And so when he says in verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites because what they're doing is they're trying to draw attention unto themselves in prayer. Their motivation in their hearts, not God first in their prayer. In verse 6, he's giving you that metaphor. Go in that secret room. Go in that private place where no one can see you. Well, metaphorically, where is that place? It's in your heart. Go to your heart. Pray there. What's your heart saying in prayer? Is your prayer God first in this moment? Or is there some other motivation in which you're seeking to pray through? And so Christ is saying there, listen, don't pray to where the motivation's on you, the spotlight's on you, you're trying to just draw attention to yourself. Pray to where it's you and God. And that's the motivation within your heart to put God first in prayer. Now notice in verse 7, he's going to get into the practice of prayer. When he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. My translation says empty phrases. Your translation may say something like vain repetitions. And so what Jesus is saying is there were people at this day and time that said, all right, we can just say the same thing over and over and over and over again. Really won't have any meaning. It's just kind of the same prayer. And what we're trying to do is wear down the gods we believe in that they'll eventually relent and give us what we want and what we ask for. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Look at verse 8. He says, your father already knows what you need before you even ask. But pray. Have you ever wondered, well, wait a minute. If God already knows what I need before I ask, why pray? Isn't isn't that kind of pointless? I mean, he already knows, so why do I need to ask? Why, Why do I need to go to him in prayer? See, prayer is more than just you checking off your list of what you need from God. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is coming, like we said in that quote, and saying, God, I'm depending on you. God, I'm submitting to you. God, I'm putting you first now. God, I'm loving you in prayer. And I've got this relationship with you that you are my heavenly Father, and I'm coming to pray. I'm coming to be with you, God. I mean, think about it this way. As a parent, many of you know what your kids need before they ever ask you what they need, but you still want the relationship of them coming and talking. Still want the relationship of coming and saying, I depend on you and I need you. And so in prayer, we're putting God first, saying, God, you're my father. God, here's what's on my heart. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. I'm not praying with selfish motivations, but I'm praying within my heart. God, I need you. And then he gives us a model prayer in verse 9 to pray. And I I love this. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It really could be called the disciples' prayer at the end of the day because it's a prayer. He says, hey, you can pray this. Now, as we go through this, understand this about this prayer. Uh, It's not commanded we pray this. So you don't have to pray this every time you pray. Uh, Some of you may have grown up in churches or other denominations that you literally prayed this every week, right? You don't have to do that. This is a great model of a prayer to pray. I pray through this often in my, in my kind of devotion time at times where I feel led to pray this because it's a wonderful prayer. 
It's a prayer in the Bible, and it's okay to pray Scripture uh, in the Bible. And notice the prayer is amazing to me, because the first half of the prayer shows us our dependence upon God. The second half of the prayer is going to say, here's what we need. Here's kind of our daily needs, God, and we're going to trust in you to take care of those. And so let's look at verse 9, what it says. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When Jesus uttered those words, Our Father in heaven, that would have been revolutionary to this Jewish audience. I mean, Jesus is saying, We have a Father together. He's in heaven. He's my Father. He's your Father. For Jews of the day, they would have said, Whoa, 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 whoa. He's God. We don't relate to God as our Father. We relate to God as this distant, standoff God. No, Jesus says He's our Father. Because the Bible tells us that when you come to know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you're adopted by God as, his, as your sons and His daughters. You are brought into His family. So the prayer is, God in heaven, our Father, hallowed be your name. That phrase there means to glorify your name, to esteem your name, to honor your name. So when we pray that in verse 9, we are praying that throughout all of the earth, God's name is hallowed. Throughout all of the earth, God's name is glorified. Throughout all of the earth, God's name is manifested. But then you can pray it personally. God, in my life, esteem your name. God, in my life, hallow your name. God, in my life, glorify your name. God, help me to manifest your name in my life as great. Then he prays in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask this to the parents. Parents, in your household, when you give your kids instruction, how is your will done in that moment? Is it done perfectly? Is it done quickly? (laughs) Is it done without discussion? (laughs) I think as parents we go, yeah, no. I can tell them to do something, but there's usually discussion. There's usually delay, or I may have to tell them more than once. How's God's will done in heaven? Perfectly. Without discussion. (laughs) Perfectly submitted. Done right off the bat. So when we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying, God, help everyone on this earth reconcile and and recognize your rule and reign in their lives. Help everyone on this earth to obey you, God. And God, as I'm praying for everybody else, oh Lord, help me to obey you. God, help me in in my life for your will to be done perfectly and without discussion and without delay. And then as we've put God first in prayer and we've recognized who he is and and praying what we want to see God done and his name esteemed and glorified and his will done, notice then the prayer shifts to our daily needs. And that's okay to ask for what we need to ask for daily. He says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. God... Help me today to have today what you're calling me to do today. That's how I often pray that verse. Lord, give me today what I need today to do what you're calling me to do today. See, later in this chapter, Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. You guys have been a quiet audience today, but can I give you an amen on that one? Right? Okay, there you are. Some of you wait. Yeah, today's got enough trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. Let's get through today. 
And so in this prayer, we can say, God, we're not praying you make us filthy rich. Lord, just give us our bread today. Help us to have today what we need today to do what you're calling us to do today. Give us today our daily bread. When tomorrow comes, God, take care of us tomorrow. Then he says in verse 12, we pray that God will forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. God, forgive me of my sin. God, forgive me of all my wrongs. And Lord, as you forgive me through the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, let me extend that same grace, that same love, and that forgiveness to others who have sinned against me. And then he ends up in verse 13 and says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, in my heart, help temptation not overtake me. God, help the evil that's within me, the sin within me not overtake me. Lord, I I don't want to give in to temptation today. I I want you to deliver me from that. I'm asking you to deliver me from sin in my life. And so when you look at this prayer and the way Jesus is saying pray, he's saying pray first to God. Put God first. Ask him for his will to be done in your life. Let me ask you this. Can you ever think of a person in the Bible that was going through a hard time and they were praying through that hard time? Can you just think about quietly in your your brain? There's probably some names coming to you. Somebody in the Bible that was going through a hard time that was praying in that hard time that God would take care of it. I mean, you you may be thinking of Paul right now or, or Peter or David, Ruth, Naomi, Esther. I mean, there, there's plenty of people that prayed in the Bible during a hard time that, that God would take away that hard time. But let me remind you of someone else who had that moment. His name was Jesus. I mean, you remember... On the night in which Christ was betrayed, he had celebrated the last Passover meal with the disciples. After they ate, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And and while they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas was off betraying Christ and and selling him off for 30 pieces of silver. And, and, And out comes the Roman soldiers. They're on the way to arrest Jesus. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And in that prayer, he knows he's about to be arrested. He knows Judas is betraying him. He knows he's going to die on the cross for our sins. He knows he's going to be raised from the dead on the third day. He knows all those things before it's going to happen. But he's still praying. And listen to the prayer of Christ in Matthew chapter 26 in verse 39. He says in that prayer, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And when he talks about the cup there, that cup is symbolizing the wrath of God. See, Jesus knows he's going to die on a cross. And while he's on that cross, there's going to come a time in which all of our sin is put on him. The sin of humanity on the back of Jesus. And when that sin comes upon him, God being a faithful, good, just God has to judge sin, is going to judge Jesus like he would us. Jesus becomes our substitute in that moment. He takes our wrath upon himself. And so Jesus is saying essentially there, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way for me to redeem humanity, if there's any other way for man to be forgiven, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let that moment of wrath pass from me. Lord, let your judgment pass from me, if there's any other way. But then I love how he ends that prayer. Nevertheless, 
not as I will, but as you will. When you pray, sometimes God will change your circumstances. But what God is always after is to change your character in prayer. God's plan is always for His will to be done in your life. And His will in your life is always what's best for you. His will in your life is always what's best. Amen? And so when you pray, put Him first in prayer. Pray what you have to pray about. Unload those burdens. Talk to God. God, this is what's on my heart. This is what's in my mind. These are the circumstances as I'm in. But Lord, I want you to be hallowed. I want you to be glorified in this. Lord, I want your will done. And so, what are your next steps this morning? Well, let me give them to you. Number one, commit to pray. When you think about developing a prayer life, it's not going to happen by accident. You have to make a commitment like we've talked about through this series to put God first. And so putting God first in prayer means, all right, I'm going to commit to pray. All right, and that's more than just at meals, right? It's more than just, hey, God, thank you for this grub as we're taking it in, right? It's committing to pray and saying, you know what, I'm going to pray for five minutes a day. I'm going to pray, I'm going to build that up to maybe 10 minutes a day. I'm going to sit down and commit to pray, just me and God, and talk to him. So commit to pray. Secondly, plan to pray. You have to develop a plan. All right, we, we've talked about this through this series. If you plan to fail, then, then you know, plan on failing, right? You have to have a plan to grow in these disciplines. So plan to pray. And, and, and this is what's always funny to me, is when I talk about this part of, of planning to read your Bible, planning to pray, planning to give, maybe planning, setting a goal to go, you know, invite somebody to church, I, I always get pushback from Christians, because they go, oh, well, is that legalism that we're making plans and we're setting goals? Ah, no, I'm just going to let the Spirit lead me and I'm going to pray when I want to pray. Okay, well, that's fine. But let me ask you this. Do you plan a vacation? Do you? If you're going to New York City, you just wake up one morning and go, hey, dear, let's go to New York City. You want to go day at five? You, you want to just go hop a plane? Oh, don't worry. We'll find a place to stay when we get there. We'll figure out what we want to do when we get there. Ah, we'll figure out if we can pay for this, right? Is that how you plan vacations? No. What do you do? You plan. All right, I'm going to go on this date. I got to take work off, and we're going to pay for it this way. We're going to take this flight. We're going to stay here. We're going to see this. We're going to eat this. If we plan our vacations down to detail, can we not plan to do things for God? Amen. So make a plan. It's okay to make a plan to say, all right, I'm going to plan at this time of day to sit down with the Lord and, and pray and read my Bible. So make a plan. Learn to pray. All right, you have to learn to pray. And again, prayer is a learned thing in your life. I'm going to give you a couple of books here. Where's my bulletin insert? I think I lost it somewhere along the way. You got a bulletin insert. I don't know what I did with it. Oh, there it is. It was back in the book of Judges. Right there. You have a God-first insert. If you haven't been here yet through this series, we've covered all these topics. You can go and get all these resources. We've been trying to resource you throughout this series. In prayer, let me recommend these two books. And I'm going to tell you, these two books are fantastic. I love these books. 
They have changed my prayer life in many, many ways, and so I'm going to highly recommend them to you. There's two books. It's A Praying Life, uh, and, 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 I, and I made a typo, and I apologize for that. It's not Don Miller. It's Paul Miller. So scratch out Donald put in Paul. Donald is Paul's brother. He's written some other good books, but when I was typing this out, I had his name on my mind, so I apologize. It's Praying Life by Paul Miller, then The Power of Persistence by Michael Catt. You guys find that online, find that on Amazon, read that. It's going to help you learn to pray, and so I highly, highly recommend those to you, but then I want you to finally understand this. So we kind of wrap up this God's first series. We've been talking about putting God first in our priorities and our giving and our Bible reading and, and our prayers is understand as you go out and you seek to put God first, God doesn't love you based on what you do. God loves you based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. So, so don't walk out of here and say, okay, I'm going to earn God's love today by praying. I, I'm going to you know, make God happy by praying. I'm going to get more grace by praying. No, no, he loves you. He loves you based on what his perfect son, Jesus, did on your behalf. You walk out of here today and say, man, I'm loved by God. 1 John 4, 19 says, I love because he first loved me. Romans 5, 8 says, he demonstrated that love toward me that while I was a sinner, it was Christ that died for me. Man, I'm loved by God. I'm just going to go out today. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to love him back. Why? Because I've already been loved. And I'm going to go live in that love. And I'm going to go live out that love. And I'm just going to show God, man, I love you too. And I'm going to put you first in my life because you've already abundantly loved me so much. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And when we pray, I want to encourage some of you to pray what we would call a prayer of salvation. For some of you today, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ yet. Well, today you can be. See, I prayed to become a believer in Christ at the age of 14, one night in my bedroom. I simply prayed, Lord, I know Jesus, but I don't know Jesus, and I'm ready to follow Jesus. And maybe today it's just as simple as that. You've yet to give your life to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sin, and you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You're my Lord and Savior. You know, Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You know what that confess with your mouth is? It's prayer. If you just pray to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. I'm ready to believe in him. Then the Bible says you believe that in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, you'll have forgiveness of sin. You'll have a new life with Christ. So for some of you, you need to pray that today. And you need to pray that because I believe the Bible says heaven is real and so is hell. And hell is full of people who this side of heaven didn't have an, had a perfect life but sinned against God but thought, I don't need Jesus. Heaven is full of people who this side of heaven, like myself, have sin in their life and sinned against God but said, you know what? I need Jesus. And all of Christianity is, is one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. And that bread is in Jesus Christ. That forgiveness is in Christ. And so I'm going to encourage you today to pray that. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, 
go to heightschurch.org give.